Hello, and welcome to Academy Conversations Uncut, a podcast of rare Q&As with the world's foremost filmmakers, hosted by the Academy and released for the first time to the public, unedited. Today's panel was recorded in November 2013 at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, California, discussing the Academy Award-winning movie, Frozen, Disney's 53rd animated feature, which was inspired by Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Snow Queen, we were joined by director Chris Buck, writer and director Jennifer Lee, and producer Peter Delvecco. The panel was hosted by Rebecca Keegan. Here's Rebecca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Academy. My name is Rebecca Keegan. I'm a reporter at the Los Angeles Times. And I'm delighted to be able to introduce to you some of the folks behind Frozen. Please uh, help me welcome uh, director uh, Chris Buck. Chris Buck. <laughs> director Jennifer Lee. And producer Peter Delvecco. Sorry, the music on this film is by Chris Beck. The director is Chris Buck. Welcome, guys. Thank you. The idea to make a movie inspired by the Snow Queen, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, uh, has been percolating at Disney for a while. Chris, can you give us a little background on the history of the project? Well, I know that Walt always wanted to do it. Um, we really didn't see any transcripts, right? I don't, I don't know if there are any left. Um, but I think it was, what was it, 1939 that we found out? And they are, there was actually a production number given to the um, to the show. So, uh, 1092, and we learned. 1092. Yes, we know these facts <laughs> now. And um, but I didn't know uh, during the making of it. And we just saw. We were just with Alice Davis yesterday, looking at some artwork that Mark Davis had done, and it was actually for more of a an attraction at Disneyland, a uh, uh, ice palace, the enchanted, enchanted snow palace. Snow palace. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so I, I, it's been kicking around. There was um, they tried some versions in the um, the early uh, I think late '90s, early 2000s. Um, but uh, I came back in 2008. Came back to Disney. John Lasseter had asked me to come back, and uh, it was one of the projects that was you know still there, and it just intrigued me with uh, the environment, which I thought was amazing. It's already magical. You've got the ice and snow, which is so beautiful. And Disney never done a full feature in the ice and snow. And then the, the character herself, the Snow Queen, who is so intriguing. She's not really very well defined in the, in the Hans Christian Andersen story. So, um, but there were a lot of questions about that. And that's where we, we sort of played a little bit more with that. So that's sort of where it started. And Jennifer, your path uh, to a director of an animated film is sort of unusual, and I'm not talking about the fact that you're female, well, that is unusual. I'm talking about the fact that you're a writer, uh, and you came in through, through that path. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to come on to the film as a writer and then uh, sort of ascend to the director's role? Sure. Um, I had been a writer on Wreck-It Ralph, um, and that's how I came to Disney. And so I was very familiar, used to being in the story room, and writers are in the editorial rooms as well, and, and they work with the actors too. So it's very comfortable. Um, and I loved Frozen. I, what we do at Disney is um, we sort of help each other with their mo each other's movies. We go in and give notes every few weeks. They put up the film, and we'll look at it and give notes. And I was really falling for Frozen and giving notes. And, and um, Peter and 
Chris could see I was connecting with it and asked, um, as I was almost done with Ralph, <laughs> if I would come on and, and um, write Frozen. And I was delighted. And then John and Ed, um, kind of watching how we all work together and watching Chris and I particularly, felt like we made a great team. And you know we have a very intense schedule. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they asked if I would co-direct with Chris. And in that it is rare. I'm the first writer to do that normally. It's an animator who works many, many years up in, to become a director. But I think um, we were just such a good team story-wise. I could keep that going, and he could keep the animation going if needed. And it just it just worked out for us. We were very fortunate. Peter, the songs are so integrated in the story. They really propel it along rather than just kind of being songs. Can you talk a little bit about the songwriters that worked on this and that worked with you also on Winnie the Pooh, uh, Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. Well, <clears throat> uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez, great lyricist, uh, uh, award winner, and Bobby Lopez, of course, won a Tony Award for Book of Mormon and Avenue Q. And since I had worked with them previously, was very familiar with them. And when Chris said that he wanted this to be a musical, we wanted to embrace that. And the reason, I think, not only did Chris enjoy going to New York and seeing those uh, productions, uh, but we knew that it was really important to have writers on from the very, very beginning of the project. So I joined two and a half years ago. I believe they joined probably about two years ago. And we're in every, um, every day we met with them for at least two hours. A lot of times it was via video conference because they were in New York. But we talked about character, we talked about story, we talked about the arc of the characters long before they wrote any songs. Mm -hmm. And that was really important because we always knew we wanted the songs to do one of two things, either tell you something about the character that, they, uh, that you didn't know before or to propel the story forward. And to do that, they had to be uh, intimately involved with the story process. You have some really different kinds of characters in this movie. You have someone really cartoony and fun, like Olaf, and then you have a character like Anna who's got a lot of subtlety to her and a lot of subtext. What's the harder one from an anim animation standpoint? Well, I, th I think the humans are probably the hardest uh, because obviously we know humans so well. We watch very carefully and you look at their faces and if something's just a little bit off, it can, it can throw you out of the picture where, as with the talking snowman, you know, who's very cartoony. We have a lot of license to play with that. We can go very broad. Um, so I would, and, and I started as an animator, and just as an animator, I can say that humans are extremely difficult, mm. whether it's hand-drawn or CG. So that was our, our, our task, and we had some very, uh, we had some amazing animators. We, had a, we have a great team of artists at the studio, and we built new rigs for the, the humans, um, new, technically, they're the best that they've ever been, even from the last few movies. And uh, we could do more of the subtlety that uh, perhaps in the other ones we couldn't quite do. And, and, and Jen was so good about uh, you know writing subtext, and that's what we were trying to do, and get some subtext on their faces. You know, Their faces would tell you what they're really feeling. They didn't necessarily have to say what they were feeling. So, um, And you can do that with these new rigs. So it was uh, difficult, but I think the team did a beautiful job. It seems like with uh, computer animated movies, we're getting to the point where if you can come up with the idea, your team can execute it. Was there anything on this film that that was just a, a great leap for them, or that were that people were anxious about pulling off? Well, obviously, you know, the the snow and ice. I mean, what we wanted to do is we wanted to integrate the characters in it. They don't just walk on snow. They're inside it, they're falling in it, they're walking through two feet of snow. And we wanted to create ice that was uh, 
powerful and emotional uh, because it's it's created magically by Elsa. And to do that, the technology was not there before at all. We had to build it um, in the very beginning. The snow would sort of clump like packing peanuts. And um, they built some incredible software. One's called the Matterhorn, which is very Disney. Mm -hmm. uh, the other's the Snow Batcher. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they also, with the ice, we found you could do glass or plastic-looking ice very easily. But like humans, ice is very flawed. And that's mm -hmm. what makes it beautiful. And so we had to like hand go in and create flaws so the ice felt like ice. Um, and we always say we don't go for realism. I think when you go for realism and animation, it can pull you out. But we go for believability. And in doing that, it's a feeling. You can feel when it's it's not ice to you. And, um, and so they, the team pushed harder than they ever had that technology took uh, many, many, many hours to render <laughs> on the computers. It, it was tough. And we did our research, too. We did a lot of research. We sent... Peter didn't send us, but our research... I didn't go either. <laughs> Peter didn't go either. But our, our artists got to go to um, uh, an ice hotel first. There's one in Quebec City. You said, oh, do have you been? No. Oh, it's... You, it's cold. Um, I didn't stay overnight. I went to one too, but uh, the tour was was plenty. It was it was an hour. It was very cold, but again, we saw how the light would come in and refract and reflect off of the ice. And um, and the the team did some. They took some beautiful videos and uh, pictures, and that really inspired them for Elsa's Ice Palace. And then they also went to our animators went yeah. to Wyoming to study what it would be like to actually walk in with that big skirt that Anna walks in in the snow. And the men and the women animators, we only, you know, they got to walk through it. And um, that was tough, but we got a lot of great video and they felt it. They really, when you're doing animation, it's good if you've actually experienced something like that. So they felt what it was like to trudge through that snow. And then you guys can talk yeah. about the other trip, the, the big the trip. The big trip was to Norway. And, and a lot of that you know, is environment, and that's a big part, but also the culture. It's the balance. Technology-wise, you know, we wanted to... We've got more simulated cloth in this film than any film, all our films together combined. <laughs> and it was the discovery of the intimacy of the Norwegian folk art and the stave churches and the rose mauling and balancing that against the giant snowy fjords. Um, which they, it was the perfect landscape. We could create an intimate, an intimate setting with the, the characters and then put them at this adventure that was giant in scope and, and um, very treacherous. And it was pro the greatest inspiration, I think, for us for the film. And at the beginning of the film, you probably also heard a very curious song that's unlike anything uh, we've done, and that's actually Norwegian yoiking. A lot of people don't know, which is a folk so singing uh, that's done, and so we were just really inspired by that um, in a huge way. And our technologies team said, "Well, let's let's take from it and build everything we can." Um, this movie has a really rich color palette, those sort of blues, and and I was surprised to see how they pick up in the 3D. This was a 3D screening of the film. Did, were you thinking about how this would look in 3D as you were making it, and how did that influence things that you did? Well, it's no question. We do 3D at the exact same time we're making the, the 2D version of the movie, so it's side by side. And Mike Giamo, our art director, is um, uh, very detail-oriented. And, and I would say he uses uh, a lot of color. Um, <laughs> Mike uh, likes color. He does like color. But what, what was great was he actually used the color to evoke the emotion of the character. So it, it was grounded in the emotion. And a really amazing color palette. 
It's interesting. Uh, the idea of the animated musical has kind of gone in and out of fashion over the years. Why did this seem like the right format for this story? I know everyone asks that, and it just when I pitched it, I guess it's because I like musicals. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to so do it's a, a musical. Personal preference. It really, I mean, I, I knew that this story could be big and could could actually be great as a musical, but I also wanted to do a musical. Um, I, the other movies I've done, um, you know, Tarzan, I would say, it's a movie with songs. It's not really musical, and Surf's Up had music behind it, but then this was my chance to do, do a real musical where characters were actually singing. So mm -hmm. that, was, that was personally why I wanted to do it, but I think because of the epic scale and everything, I think it, it fits beautifully. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think what I loved when I came in the project, the ending that you saw um, where Anna makes that choice to save her sister, Chris had pitched that when, when he originally pitched the story. And we all wanted that moment. We wanted to earn it emotionally. And to do that, you're talking a big movie because you have parallel plots running. You have a lot of stakes. There's a lot that you needed to do. And what songs allow you to do is, particularly the way we did it with a, a true musical, you it carries you through the plot and emotions. It doesn't stop. And then there's a song and then you keep going. There's always some storytelling that enhances it. And there are things that Bobby and Kristen could do with a song that as a screenwriter would take me five or six scenes to develop. Um, we'd have a miniseries if it weren't, <laughs> if it weren't a musical, I think. Um, and so it was, for me, it was just being able to reach emotionally and, and in an entertainment level that would take a lot more as a writer to do. Was just, it was heaven to work with them. And Bobby and Kristen would always tease her saying, we're gonna take your best scenes and we're gonna turn those into songs and those songs will be ours. <laughs> you know, so it was like, but it was kind of true because whatever, whatever, uh, whenever she would write something or the, the highest emotion, you know, of a scene or the funniest thing, it would just lend itself to a song. It's almost like the character, as they they put it, the character has to sing. It's so emotionally charged. So yeah, we often talked cool. about that songs in many ways can touch the soul a lot faster and a lot more, a lot deeper sometimes than a dialogue scene can do. Mm -hmm. How does it affect your casting for your voice actors when you know you're doing a music? Obviously, you have Idina Menzel is known for her voice, but you've got a lot of good singers in here. How did that come together? They, yeah, since we knew from the beginning it was a musical, they came in. And of course, they'd read their lines, but also. Um, They'd have to sing. They'd have to audition with a song. Um, Adina, I don't, I don't think we actually asked her to sing a song. Did we? The, the, funny, the funny thing there was when we were asking Bobby and Kristen what kind of songs do they think they're going to write for the movies so we could tell the, uh, whoever was going to audition what type of song to bring in, we noticed that almost all the songs Adina Menzel had sung at one point in her life. Uh, 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 so she sort of rose to the top pretty quickly. What was amazing about Adina for us, though, is you know she has one of the most powerful voices, but her speaking voice has a gentleness and a slight vulnerability. And that's exactly what we needed for Elsa. So we didn't even know it at the time. Because we were in the early development, we weren't sure if she was going to be a full villain or not. And we were trying to push toward villain. And she just was a much more complex, interesting person to work with and Elsa became much more complex and interesting and there could to me there could be no other Elsa it just she brought everything that was that balance um, and then of course we had Kristen Bell which it was an amazing surprise for us that she could sing but she is you know brilliant and wonderfully funny a great partner and we actually improv a lot with her because she like me thinks girls can be funny <laughs> and so <laughs> we decided to really just go for it and have a you know have a lot of fun with making her just a real girl, and um, and so she was a fantastic partner creatively, not just you know she, not 
we lucked out, and she's got a beautiful singing voice. And the other guys, they all had musical chops. You got Jonathan Groff, who Broadway, Spring Awakening, and lots of other um, uh, musicals, and amazing uh, talent. He actually, we were looking for, I was looking for a voice that was a little more gruff, more mountain man-esque, and a man of few words kind of character. And he came in and kind of changed it. Uh, he was uh, so charming, um, and just this very warm, uh, lovely voice, and I finished the audition with him. I was in the room with him reading off, reading the lines, and then I came back into the booth, and he had left, and everyone, the, the women and the men, were swooning, <laughs> and so it was, it was, that was kind of a slam dunk yeah, there. Yeah, we rewrote we went, Christoph That's completely. how to rewrite. Yeah. Of course, Josh then. And there's Josh. Josh, Book of Mormon, you know, we knew he could sing quite well mm -hmm. and have fun, and then he was one of the first ones to come in also. We loved his voice, and, um, what he created for that. We also have Santino Fontana, who is now playing uh, Prince Charming in on Broadway in Cinderella. And again, a, a great, great mm -hmm. voice and a great singer. And he came in with an audition. Uh, he changed the lyrics to I feel pretty to I am pretty. <laughs> and he's saying it was it was terrific. So we had a lot of fun with, with all of yeah, them. Yeah. Um, one of the luxuries in animation could probably also be one of the curses of it, which is that you can tinker with the story far along in the process. When did you actually finish with the story, and what and what was the big Last biggest week, challenge? Yeah, we never really finished. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge for you in in cracking this story? Yeah, when did we finish? Technically, um, in June, but um, I, we you can we were still anytime we still had something not animated, we would overanalyze it one more time. Can we add? And the actors would run in and do something for us. And so it really to me wasn't until about September that it was done, story wise. I mean, but it's things lock as you go, so it's a very confusing process for a writer in that you uh, you will. Your story takes precedent, and we really work the stories very hard. And then when we feel a scene is ready, and the schedule tells us such, mm -hmm. we start putting them into animation. And once you do, they're locked. So then any changes you're making elsewhere, you've got some temples that can't change. And occasionally, we've had to go in and change, but we try not to. So you're, you're slowly watching the pieces go away, and you have to keep fitting them in. And it's unlike anything, I think, any other medium. But, but what I love about it is that you know, as a group, it almost like the movie, when you do it this way, starts telling you what it needs to be. And I think that's, for us, it just kept taking these giant leaps with each new song that came in, with each new piece. And John Lasseter and Ed Catmull really put that as the priority. And if that's what we need, if we need more, if we need to pull a scene back, we do it. And and that's, it's it coming in from the outside and only being there a few years, it's been the most amazing creative experience because that's what they do is push put story first. Um, more than anything else. And even the whole studio, I mean, we screen the movie for ourselves about every 12 weeks, and then we'll screen it for ourselves, but also all the other directors and all the other writers at the studio, and go away for usually a two-day retreat where we talk about how do you make the movie stronger, and then you know they give a lot of ideas and a lot of notes, and then poor Chris and Jen are <laughs> left to pick up all the pieces, but again, to uh, try to elevate the movie yeah, each when time. When we screen it, the first, it's in storyboards, so we have board artists we work with every day who also give great input on the story, and we develop a lot with them, and, we, and they'll bring in new ideas, but when we look put it the first like four uh, screenings it's all storyboards and then you'll have the next screening there's one animated scene and everyone cheers because we're getting there and the last one is usually half and half and then and then we just have mad race to the finish <laughs> um, 
Walt Disney Animation as a studio has also gone through a lot of changes in the last couple of decades. What's the environment like there now for people working on movies? Um, since I've been through different regimes there, um, it's, it is wonderful. It is fantastic with John and Ed there. It's very collaborative. Um, the, the rule is always, and John lives by this too, best idea in the room wins. You know, it's never just, you know, John's way or our way or whatever. Everybody is always looking to make these films stronger and stronger. And, and I think there's just, um, it's also, I think, because you've got John who is an artist and is a filmmaker in charge there. And, um, and he understands all of us. He understands what we're all going through at every moment of a production. Because they, be, they can be very tough. It's, it's, it's a long road. It can be three to four years on each film. But he gets it, and there's an empathy there that you know he knows he, what we're going through, and he's a partner with us. So I think it's it's very different than when it was, and very different than uh, any other studio. Yeah, and what's different, you know, it's it's a as we say, it's a filmmaker-driven studio, which means we come up, the directors come up with their own ideas, they do pitch several, and ones that resonate will start developing, and so we get to uh, shape something from start to finish, and really. Um, it, I think, and, and then you have these teams of artists, and we're all working together. It's just you feel, we feel like we're set up in a place to do our best work, um, and uh, it's so, it's amazing to me to watch the studio grow from particularly like you look at Tangled and then Wreck It Ralph and now Frozen, and they've all been together, all these artists working, and the energy level and the excitement, and they want to plus it themselves, and they're so invested. It's just this feedback loop of creativity they've got going on that, um, and again, I came in from the outside, so I was like, whoa. Like, it was, it was really amazing. It still is, yeah. Well, thank you guys very much for being here today, and thank you. My thank pleasure. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Academy Conversations Uncut. We hope you enjoyed this unique access to a members-only Q&A at the Academy. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and help us reach film lovers around the world. This podcast was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.